This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au So good to see everyone. I can't tell you how nice it is for a preacher to see real faces. I've been preaching to an empty room with a camera for the last seven months, so um, yeah, feel free to, you're out of practice, it's all new. Preaching, there, there can be reciprocation, an amen, a nod, a come on, just to remind me that I'm not in an empty room with a camera, so feel free to engage in that way. Hey, if I haven't met you, my name's James, I'm one of the seven Jameses on staff here at Anchor City, um, so nice to meet you. If I haven't met you, please come say good day after the gathering. I'm so thankful for this series, this generous series that we're in. I think necessarily we've had to be the opposite of generous. We've had to tighten. We've had to reserve ourselves. We've had to close doors. I've been thinking about an image of almost a tree, a tree in winter, all of its leaves fall off. And the leaves fall off because all of its resources and nutrition all have to go inward. They have to go into the roots to survive through the winter. And I think that's the season we've been in, but hopefully that can shift. And I think this is a timely series for us. Uh, I remember preaching a year ago, (laughs) one of the final sermons of the year, kind of thinking about what a wild year it's been, 2020, but 2021... New Horizons, right? Who would, have, who would have thought would be here? I'm naturally an optimist, glass half full kind of guy. I remember being a getaway in May. All of us were at getaway. We'll clump together, no social distancing, sleeping in ca- small cabins together, one another mask. I was like, we're, we're through, we're done. But alas, we're here. And it's been a wild six months again um, with Delta. Uh, I read this week that... Collectively, we're going through, as society, this, this cultural trauma. This, um, it's almost like when COVID started, the, the fruits of the Spirit, they went on vacation. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, the, the, our patience with one another, our kindness, they just packed their bags and they, they went overseas. They got the last flight out. Um, I've, I've, I've experienced this in many tangible ways, but even in the last month, the, the tone of the meetings that I'm having. And, and I welcome the feedback and I welcome challenge and people on different perspectives, but there's, there's genuine hatred and fear of people that disagree with us. We sense it in this, this deep sense of antagonism and hostility. And I think when this happens in seasons like this, we, we circle up with the people that get it. You know, they get it. They, they agree with us. We can count on them, and what we do is we distance ourselves from those that disagree. We protect the in-group, and we exclude the outside group. And psychologists tell us that whenever we develop, wherever we're in a season like this, people develop and associate with the inner core, we immediately begin to adjust our empathy and our emotional levels to the inner group. The resources, the empathy and the emotions and the love that we might have had for an outside group, those that disagreed with us, we conserve it to foster and support the inner group, just like that tree in winter. And we take that margin and care 
for the outside group and we re reallocate that to the in-group. And look, maybe in a season and in, in a time, there's a place for that. But here's the danger. When this begins to be part of our mentality, this becomes a way of life. This mentality that takes over our lives and it's not just for a season. And we start to actually dehumanize and demonize those that disagree with us. And the part of the challenge for us, this isn't just in the culture. This is in the church. This is even within Christians. Even as followers of Jesus, in our very foundations of our teaching is to love our enemy. We are struggling to do this. So my question for us today is how do we disrupt this culture of hostility? How do we disrupt, break cycles, circuit break the culture of hostility and fear of other? And I want to contend that the power of hospitality, biblical, Jesus-following hospitality, has the power to disrupt hostility. Now, the flow of today is going to be very simple. Firstly, what is hospitality? We're just going to go into scripture and we want to see a compelling vision of what it looks like to love the other. And then I'm just going to close with some thoughts on how we do this. So firstly, what is biblical hospitality? The Greek word in the Bible, it's very simple. It's literally love and stranger. Love and stranger. So hospitality, it's so much bigger than food. It's so much bigger than a nice meal. It is literally loving not just the insider, it's loving the stranger, the foreigner. And let me, let me break this down for us because it's really important. There's a big difference between hospitality and fellowship. And fellowship's super important. We need to keep doing it. But fellowship is when we get together with our Christian friends and we have a meal with them and we do relationship with them. But hospitality, biblical hospitality, is when we invite strangers to meet with our friends so they too become our friends. I read this one commentator this week saying, hospitality is the act or process whereby the identity of the stranger is transformed into that of guest. It's the process of transforming an identity of stranger into guest. And hospitality is so powerful because it uses the basic necessities of a roof over our head and food on the table and conversation and drink and welcome. And the primary impulse of hospitality is to create a safe and welcoming space where a stranger can be converted into a guest. And we see this in the life of Jesus and this, this wasn't plan B for Jesus. This wasn't one of his many strategies. This was primary for him. There's a reading of scripture. Let me, let me say this in very clear terms. When we read scripture, when we look at the life of Jesus, we incorrectly project our narrative of what God's supposed to do for us to be about affirming the insider group of the Bible. That everything that we believe, everything we value, my opinions, my preferences, my values, God has come into my life to affirm all of those things. And let me say very clearly, 
you could not be reading the Bible more incorrectly. There might be some of you here, but I'm pretty sure that there isn't someone, or there might be actually, unless you were born Jewish, you are an outsider. You had to be grafted in. And most Western people, you, you think Jesus came to affirm your values and everything you believe. You are an outsider. You are an outsider. Welcome to church. The Bible says that we were God's enemies. We were people having no moral good within us to commend ourselves to God. And we were outside of his kingdom. And our heart should be one of humility and gratitude that God would take an outsider, a rebel, and through his divine hospitality, brings us into his kingdom of love. Believing that you don't, you don't deserve to be here, and it's actually an act of grace that you get to be at the table of Jesus, fundamentally changes the way you show mercy and hospitality and compassion to those that disagree with you. Look at what it says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. It's going to pop up on the screen. Ephesians 2, 12. And he says, remember at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Separate, foreigners. And you see the tension in this church in Ephesus where the Gentiles are beginning to act morally superior to the Jewish community. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You were the outsider group. Don't get cocky. Don't get arrogant. Don't get self-righteous. Now you are in the fold. Come with humility and gratitude because you who didn't belong have been welcomed in by the grace and hospitality and welcome of Jesus. And I believe this is foundational for us being generous. The reason we are so quick to dismiss others is that we have forgotten who we were before Jesus and that the way we are shaped to treat those outside of the church, outside of our values. And it's, we've just forgotten God's heart. God's heart is not fundamentally to affirm the insider group. Let me say that again. God's heart is not fundamentally to affirm the insider group. It's to reach and bring in the outsider group. And that fun, that's fundamental to the mission of Jesus. Listen, if you don't understand this spiritual reality, if you don't fully comprehend this as your identity, you will never be generous. You will never be generous with your money, with your time, with your emotions, with your empathy. If you believe God is here to affirm what I'm about, what I believe, my opinion, and there's this fear and pushing away of the other. This is what scripture is about. The divine hospitality comes to us in the person of Jesus. This divine host who extends God's hospitality to sinners, to outcasts, and he embraces them. This, this was a priority for Jesus. Jesus says, I'm here I'm not here for the healthy. I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the broken. I'm here for the adulterer. I'm here for the widow. I'm here for the imprisoned. I'm here for the outsider. And I think you could sum up the entire ministry of Jesus as hospitality to the outsider. And God's got, 
We've got to be a new people with a vision of his son. And when you get this vision, you will realize that one of the chief jobs of being a disciple of Jesus is to look for and create portals of belonging and acceptance of those that disagree with us. That is a stranger. And now we've got to, we've got to embody this. We've got to have people in our homes, around our tables, that disagree with our politics, that disagree with our values, that disagree with how the country should be run. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. I was um, probably about six months ago, I was in an Uber. I don't, I don't often catch Ubers, and this is like one of the height of lockdowns. You know, there was fear, but I wasn't going to catch a bus. So I was like, all right, I'll catch an Uber. And I'm not sure if there's any more dehumanizing role than an Uber driver in lockdown. Because you want to, both of us have masks on. Don't talk to me. You may as well just be driving this car. You may as well just be a machine. And I, was, and I remember just being convicted in that moment. It's like, no, 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 this, this is a person. This is a person that, and natural, just human instincts, you just, you profile, it's like this person is different to where I grew up. This person would have different ethnicity and values. And I just so strongly felt convicted to move past seeing this person as a transaction and wanted to see this person as a human, as having inherent value. And, you know, I like to think I'm pretty chatty, you know, sparking up conversation with strangers. What's the first question you ask an Uber driver? Yeah, how's the day going? You know, how's, how's the shift going? What have you been doing today? You know, dri- driving cars. You know, it's tough work at the start. But I just, I, I went for it. I went for it. I was like, hey, hey, mate, tell me your story. Tell me your story. He was like, what? No one's really asked me that before. What a random question. I was like, just tell me, tell me a bit about your life in the last, last 10 years. And let me tell you, the next 30 minutes was the most enriching, beautiful 30 minutes because he went on to share things that were actually similar to my story in that he has a daughter and that he moved to Australia to have a better life for his kids. And I was able to share, hey, I've I got this daughter. And he didn't even ask for it, but I whipped out my phone because that's what I do with everyone. I'm like, hey, hey, this is this photo, this is my daughter. This is Billy. Oh, look at her. She's so cute. But I, was, and I, but I got to go a level deeper. I was like, oh, yeah, my, my mom's from Korea. And my parents, I was born in Korea, and my parents, they moved out here to give me and my sister a better life. And I just, I, I, left, I left that trip, that Uber trip, so convicted to see people not as strangers and others, but as having inherent value. And in that space, it was actually a beautiful little portal of belonging and the kingdom of just seeing each other with similar stories. How different, how different would Sydney be if every Christian every day said, how can I cross boundary lines and create portals of belonging and acceptance? How different would Sydney be? How much of Jesus's ministry was just one-on-one encounters with people he just shouldn't have been talking to? That was almost all of his ministry of people that were angry of who Jesus was talking to. In the essence, this is what Jesus is about, crossing barriers, changing people from them to us so that God's kingdom and family can be extended. I read this really convicting quote from a commentator, Henry Allen. Allow me to read it. Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, 
aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, do harm, but still this is our vocation, to convert the enemy into a guest, to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. That is our calling. That is our calling. Converting the enemy, the stranger, the other, to guest, to friend, into family. So hospitality, hospitality is it's the love of the outsider. And we're called to practice it because we were the outsider. That is our, that's the spiritual story. We were the outsider and God's hospitality has transformed us now. Now, just a couple of thoughts closing. How do we practice this? How do we practice hospitality? Now, Scripture's littered with it all throughout, but I'm just going to go to a few places. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 says, Keep on loving one another just as, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And it goes on, 1 Peter 4, verse 8, above all, Love each other. He's talking, about, he's talking about Christians here. So framing of hospitality is actually love. I love 1 Peter 4 verse 8, because love covers a multitude of sins. I love that 1 Peter verse. You know, what, you know, how powerful is your love? Well, if someone sins against me, my love covereth your sinneth. Anyway, I love that. But anyway, we'll keep going. But what's, what's, what I think is key here is because linked to this this idea in 1 Peter 4 of loving one another, and this is within the church, next verse says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) Now, how many of you need to repent as soon as your family leaves from Christmas lunch? (laughs) Because the first thing that you say after the meal's been... Too many people were nodding just then. (laughs) The first thing... When your family leaves after Christmas lunch, is just, oh, so happy they're gone. That was such a slog. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And I think this is, man, this is inspired God of Word because inbuilt with being hospitable to strangers is this sense it's going to be difficult. It's difficult. Offer hospitality without grumbling. And we should realize what a privilege, what an honor. It is to be rescued and to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we have more in common. We have more in common with this stranger in front of us than we know. And particularly, for, we need to start doing this in the church, that no matter what our personality or our hobbies are, that we have the most powerful bonding cultural identity factor that we are His. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Hebrews 13, I think you're all here for this because you heard it in the Bible reading. Hebrews 13 goes on and says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. You know things are going to get lit when angels are in the Bible reading. Now imagine imagine, uh, entertaining angels without knowing it. You know what I mean? You, you, you've just finished dinner. Hey, Gabriel, Michael, thanks for coming over. I hope that was good. I'm just going to go and get dessert. Just stay right there. 
and you go, you go and get dessert, and you come back. Where, 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 where did they go? No, just be wild. And I'm, I'm not making light of this because I actually think this is literal. This is literal. But it's actually pointing to a really powerful idea about hospitality. What, 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 what did angels do? What was the function of angels? What are the function of angels? Because they still exist. Their function is to bring rescue and revelation. Angels are to bring rescue and revelation. And God is literally saying, by your lack of willingness to be hospitable, you are stopping the revelation and help of God in your life. In your life, you're the one who misses the blessing and the receiving of God's revelation and blessing. Before it's about the other, it's not just for them, but you miss the blessing. Generous hospitality actually starts with the idea of us receiving. So don't stop doing it because you, you never know. You never know when the kingdom of God, in honestly, in a supernatural way, in a powerful way, comes in to your home into your spaces when Christians are scandalously open with their hearts and their homes. You don't know. You don't know when you've entertained angels. My favorite story about this comes from uh, an author, Rosaria Butterfield. Any of you heard of Rosaria Butterfield? She wrote one of my favorite Christian books called Gospel Comes with a House Key. She was this radical leftist professor at Syracuse University in New York, uh, she was lesbian, postmodern, post-Christian, just post-everything. And she, she wrote a controversial newspaper article. She was a writer. She did many. But she tells this story of one newspaper article she wrote. Just picture all the fuel that you want. She wrote, it was about feminism and the religious right. It was just straight fuel on fire. And she, these replies came in. These replies came in. And she was saying on her desk... There's, these, there's these, two, these two piles, fan mail, hate mail. And so as, as a letter would come in, she'd oh, okay, that's fan mail. Oh, that's definitely hate mail. And she would do this, fan mail, hate mail. But one day, she got this letter, and she didn't know which pile it belonged in. She didn't know. It was thoughtful, it engaged with her core ideas, but it also challenged it. And... Her circuits were fried because this was primarily, this is not primarily, this is from a conservative Christian pastor. A conservative Christian pastor. And what did she do with it? She threw it in the bin. She threw it in the bin. And she said, for the next 24 hours, that letter haunted her. She couldn't stop thinking about it. So she put it back on her desk and she just stared at it. She stared at it. And what frightened her the most is that it had an invitation on that letter to come over for a meal. And so this is, this is what her thinking was. She's like, you know what? I think I want to write a book on the religious right. And this would just be really good intel. This would be really good intel. She describes it as <laughs> going, going to meet an evangelical pastor was like going deep sea diving. You know what I mean? You've got to take oxygen in, and the longer you're in there, the more dangerous it is for your health. <laughs> so she was like, all right, I'm going to deep sea dive and go have this meal with this pastor because it, I'll just get great intel 
a great, great, great intel for my book, you know, slamming the religious right. This is an excerpt from her book. <clears throat> and Ken is the pastor who wrote in the letter. Ken and his wife, Floyd, and I became friends. They entertained my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. And they did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. We ate together. When Ken prayed in a way, Ken prayed in a way I'd never heard before. His prayers were intimate. They were vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. They just loved her. They loved her. And over a hundred meals of welcome, they changed her identity from an other to a friend. And the fruit of this hospitality was that it changed her identity from an outsider of God into the family of God. And she gave her life to Jesus. And today has written multiple powerful books about the power of the gospel and hospitality. And she has this line that I just can't shake, that she says the threshold of their life brought me to the foot of the cross. The threshold of their life, the entry into their life, the welcome into their life brought me to Jesus. That's the power of hospitality, an environment of welcome that converts the identity and produces God's new humanity. And, and it makes me think, how many people, how many people that we are name-calling and raging against and demonizing are just a hundred meals from following Jesus? What could your region look like? What could your region look like if you consciously committed in a time of hospi host hostility to practice biblical hospitality? What could happen if you committed to creating portals of belonging and acceptance? Rosaria Butterfield closes her book, Gospel Comes with a House Key, by saying, this radical, ordinary hospitality recoils at reducing a person to a category or a label Instead, they see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Just as I invite the band up and close, I, wanna, I just want to close by saying, we don't, we don't know what next year will bring. We don't know. I sense, I don't know, the, not this, I don't know, I sense the hostility will not go away. Things could get harder. Things could get harder. There's so much political instability and fresh economic challenges and suppressed grief from all of us for two years of fear and just fresh questions. And the thing I want to pose to us today is, are you going to live out of cultural values or kingdom values? Are you going to live out of cultural values or kingdom values? That we would have the generosity of home and heart 
that we would be so secure in our identity in Jesus that we would riskily open our homes and our hearts to strangers? Are you going to be one of those rare peacemakers in the way of Jesus who creates portals of belonging and acceptance? And if we don't do it, who will? If the followers of Jesus don't pick up this mantle of loving the enemy, of loving the stranger, who will? If we don't do this, if we don't disrupt the cycle of hostility, who will? Now, I've, <clears throat> I've actually never done this before. As I've been preparing this sermon, I'm always praying as I'm preparing sermons, but I actually prayed this time for a picture. And it came very clearly Take it or leave it. But this picture of a tree. And necessarily, I think for a season, we've been a tree that's had to, like winter, conserve its nutrition, conserve its resources so that we can survive. But I actually sense that we are coming out of this season. I want us to have the courage. I want us to have the faith not in each other, not in any man-made thing, but in Jesus and in his love, that we are coming into a season where we can be trees that produce fruit. We are trees that are not going to conserve and hold on to our empathy, to our emotions, to our capacity to love the other. And we're actually trees that can reach out and produce fruit and protection and welcome to the other. And... God has entrusted this moment to us. God has entrusted this moment to us to be people of welcome, to be people that would love the stranger, that would turn the other into us, that would turn the stranger into guests, and that would turn the enemy into the family of God, a new humanity in Jesus' name. Amen? Let me pray. God, you've been so generous to us. You've been so generous to us. When we were strangers, when we were far off, you, through your radical love, risked everything to pursue us, to love us, to run after us when we were far away and we were a stranger. And Jesus, can you, Holy Spirit, just empower us to do that? Because we can't do it on our own. We need your help to love the strangers and the enemies around us. We need your help. So Holy Spirit, fill us, give us a compelling picture of a God that came in flesh. Jesus, you gave us such a beautiful picture of just loving those that, were, that you weren't supposed to love. So fill us up and help us imitate your love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.